You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by UFM Underwear. Head to UFMunderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN for $5 off your purchase. UFM Underwear. Support your manhood. And also brought to you by MyBookie, where you can double your first deposit. Head to MyBookie.ag and use promo code GATORS to activate the offer. Bet. Win. Get paid. At MyBookie. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me as he does every week is Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSCC and his site readandreaction.com where he does a really, really good job this week of breaking down what the Gators were able to do versus South Carolina, the, the good, the bad, and uh, heading into this Georgia game. But uh, a really good look back, and uh, we'll get into all that uh, on this episode. But uh, Will in Columbia, a rain-soaked Will Muschamp was uh, not too happy. <laughs> Yeah, there was really nothing better than seeing Muschamp complain and call the uh, call the officials gutless and that sort of stuff afterwards. Usually he's not that riled up, so clearly the Florida game means a little bit more to him than maybe it does some of the other games. And, and uh, yeah, this was one of those where I'm not sure that you can put the blame on Muschamp necessarily for, for South Carolina losing this game. I think it was more Florida took it in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter. And quite honestly, I think South Carolina played pretty well. Yeah. Um, you know, it was just Florida was able to step up and really win the game in the fourth quarter when it counted. You know, it, it is a South Carolina team. A lot of people counted them out by losing to North Carolina early on in the season. Uh, then, of course, they rally, uh, beat Georgia last week. And then you give Florida a, a pretty good game for three quarters here, uh, three and a half quarters, uh, you know, if you, if you want to count it that way. I mean, I, I do think the South Carolina team uh, is an improving team, and it's a team uh, much like a lot of the other SEC schools on their backup quarterback. Yeah, well, I mean, this is one of those SEC teams where they couldn't really afford to lose Bentley if he was their best player based on the quality of the schedule that they had. They obviously got the win against Georgia last week, and that that I think plays a role in terms of how maybe we think of them. But at the end of the day, I, I, I think if you'd have told anybody in South Carolina that they were going to face this schedule, and come in and have a chance in the fourth quarter against Florida to go four and three, they probably would have taken it. Same as if you told people at Florida that they would have had an opportunity to take advantage in the fourth quarter against South Carolina to, to go to the bye week seven and one, they would have taken it. So I think both teams are kind of where we expect them to be at this point. But anytime you win on the road in the SEC, it's an important game. 
Um, anytime that you win against an inner an inner division rival within the SEC, it's important. And it's very important for Florida to stay sort of ahead of, you know, obviously in two weeks against Georgia, that's a very important game. But, you know, making sure, like, you, you can't drop games in the East if you want to get to where you want to go. And And this is one of those where, you know, not everything went Florida's way. Florida had some mistakes. There was the interception to start the second half. There was the first half drive where South Carolina went right down the field and scored a touchdown and sort of put Florida behind the eight ball. It looked like Trask was having trouble throwing the ball, especially in the first half. You know, there were some ducks out there. They were running wrong routes and all sorts of different stuff, especially on the first on the first drive. There was the screen pass to nowhere where it's like, uh-oh, <laughs> did they show up to play today? This, this might be a problem. Um and it felt like that for stretches, but it also felt like Florida was the better team. I think the better team won. And that has been the hallmark of Mullen thus far in his stop at Florida. I think it was the case at Mississippi State, though I haven't gone back and looked at all of that. But I think the reality is, is when he's the better team and the team is physically superior, they tend to win. And and certainly that was the case this past Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll get into a lot of what we'll just hit on and uh, where the Gators are, uh, of course, heading into the bye week. But before we get there, remember, you can find Gators Breakdown at newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there, as well as uh, Gator-related articles from uh, News 4 Jacks. Uh, also catch the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or like some of you are doing right now, live on YouTube. So thank you so much for that. When using all of those services, please share, rate, and review the show. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. And don't forget, every week, a News 4 Jacks exclusive Talking with Troop, where former Gators tight end Ben Troop joins me once a week um, this season to recap the last game and give a preview uh, of the next game and give his thoughts like only Troop can. So that's uh, exclusively at News4Jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown every week there. And uh, also, get your Gators Breakdown gear at SquadLocker.com. Head over there. Click in the top right of the screen, click on find your store and type in Gators Breakdown and all the hat shirts and polos and t-shirts and more there at Squad Locker. So we'll go back to uh go back to the uh the, the quote Dan Mullen had after the, the the game uh Saturday night versus South Carolina, where he says, quote, you're heading into November in control of your own destiny and what's going to happen. That's where we want to be. That's where we're expected to be at Florida. We have a bye week and a chance to hopefully get some guys healthy, end quote. And that's what Dan Mullen had to say about Florida's position after defeating South Carolina. And the Gators now sitting at 7-1 and one on the season. And then, you know, Will, the season-defining stretch started with a win over Auburn and dropped that game at LSU, rebounded with a win over South Carolina, and, and setting up a big showdown we all figured it would come down to in Jacksonville versus Georgia. And as Mullen said, also, you know, quote, this is where we want to be. Uh, and, of course, you know, honestly, this is the expectation we have as Gator fans uh, at this point in the season with a chance to with a chance to get a leg up in the race for the SEC East and then finish the season the way we're supposed to Everything for the Gators is there for the taking. Now it's time to respond. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we said maybe three weeks ago that that Florida going three and one in this stretch, in particular, if they lost the game at either, either LSU or Auburn, but were able to beat Georgia, that put them right where they want to be. And that's exactly what happened. The only thing that happened in that stretch that's different is that Georgia lost to South Carolina and seems to have some chinks in its armor that um, you know, that, that really just indicate that Florida maybe has a better shot than you might have thought coming into the year. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly Fromm struggled quite a bit this week, obviously had the same weather issues that, that Florida had to deal with as well. But 
Um, you know, as, as much as Georgia struggled against a wide receiver playing quarterback for Kentucky, it does give you some confidence going into that game. But at the same time, Georgia has the week off. They're going to get healthy. They're going to they're gonna game plan as well. I expect it to be a really good game. And, you know, to be honest, this is why you come to Florida is to play these games, right? And this year in particular, but last year as well, a top 10 matchup between Florida mm-hmm. and Georgia. You get the CBS You get the CBS time slot. You're going to get to be the the highlighted game of the day, really, when it when you look at it, and and I'm guessing game day will probably be there for for this yeah, one as well. So, so you know, I, I think Florida gets the spotlight. They get the opportunity to show people how far they've come from last year. Certainly, the team should be a lot more familiar with Mullins' schemes than they were last year against Georgia. They had an opportunity to win that game last year against Georgia, and then late in the third quarter and into the fourth quarter, weren't able to hold on. This year's team has shown an ability to, to hold on in the fourth quarter or re- really even dominate in the fourth quarter when they've struggled for the first three. I mean, you think back to Kentucky and even the South Carolina game didn't really look impressive for the first three quarters. Then the fourth quarter comes around, and all of a sudden it's a different team. Um, I, I think you know that gives Gators fans a lot of hope that even if even if Georgia comes out and is able to sort of put Florida on its heels, Florida's going to be able to hold 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 close enough that in the fourth quarter, you figure that Mullen and his, and his coaching ability, along with the players and their determination, are going to pull this one out. Yeah, well, you, you hit it on the head, man. And, and looking at this game where we find ourselves, look, Florida's the higher-ranked team over Georgia right now going into this game. I don't know if any, uh, m- many of us saw that part of it coming along, but that's where we stand right now, especially after the last two weeks uh, in, what, in, in Georgia's problems, like you mentioned. You know, and Florida is trending right now as the top team in the SEC East. You hear a lot of... Uh, look, I you know I, a week ago I tweeted it out. Kirk Herbstreit uh, had, had picked after Georgia lost to South Carolina, he had picked Florida to win the SEC East. You heard a lot of analysts over the weekend now saying they would, you know, if they had to pick at this moment, they they would be picking Florida. Well, all that's going to be taken care of on the field coming up uh, in two weeks here. But you know, look, the game still has to be played. Uh, both teams, as you said, will be figuring out working on issues in the bye week. Florida trying to get healthy on the defensive side of the ball. Dan Mullins trying to stop Georgia from winning three straight over Florida uh, with the SEC East on the line. Uh, pretty much, you know, I know Missouri's hanging out there as well, but uh, pretty much, you know, it's just Florida and Georgia uh, as we see it right now. You know, Florida kind of found themselves in a similar situation last season, came up short versus, short versus Georgia, uh, as you mentioned there too, Will. So we knew coming into the season this game would be – in the spotlight like it is and now we get two weeks to focus on it break it down really dive into it and that is only going to make it feel that much bigger when the game gets here because of all the constant talk for two weeks about this huge matchup but once again Florida is where they want to be and will surprisingly being looked at maybe even the favorite heading into Jacksonville I know lines will come out and some of them have Georgia favored I think that's probably the way to end up but uh you know, there's going to be a, a lot of, I think, split among picking Florida or Georgia heading into this game. And it's just, it just credit to Dan Mullen. Two years in a row now where the Florida-Georgia game has meant pretty much everything uh, for the SEC East uh, in just, you know, year one and now year two under Dan Mullen. Yeah, big credit for him to, to, to making now we're heading into – it's late October. This will be the first week in November, and the Gators are playing in. And, look, the week after that is LSU and Alabama. So in a way, you have a final four of SEC teams playing in back-to-back weeks, and uh, in, in what you're kind of going to see, and maybe teams figuring themselves out and heading to Atlanta. Yeah, I keep telling people we don't need a playoff. We've got one during the year anyway. <laughs> but no, I, I think that when you look at the when you look at the Florida Georgia game, one of the things I think that's been kind of surprising is that if you told me 
that Florida was going to be on its backup quarterback and that Georgia was still going to have Fromm and he was going to be healthy, I'd say, all right, that's probably a problem for Florida coming into this one. But the way Trask has played and the way Fromm has played, I think really sort of has has evened the scales a little bit. But, you know, we'll, we'll get into this a lot over the next couple of weeks too. But Georgia's a good team. And Florida's going to have to play well to win that game. Mullen's probably going to have to do a few things to give his team an advantage. The the real difference is is that, you know, it does feel like Georgia's come back to the pack a little bit. Florida's sort of proven that they can hang with anybody. And, you know, when it comes to coaching, (laughs) I think that I I have more confidence that Ed Orgeron's going to do the right thing than I do Kirby Smart. And I think Georgia fans feel that. I think Florida fans feel that. And so – you know, if, if Mullen keeps it close towards the end, I think there's a perception that he's going to be able to figure out a way to get the right scheme or have the right play dialed up for the right moment. And that's one of the things that I think Florida fans are really excited to see. So obviously it's a big game. It's it's going to be a huge game. And, you know, we've got two weeks to talk about it, and I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. It's kind of where we stand a week before we'll get into uh, our big preview of Florida, Georgia uh, there. But as we said, you know, and, and Mullen has said it too. the players have even said it. Florida's, where, you know, Florida's where they need to be right now. Georgia is on their mind. Georgia's kind of been on their mind uh, there, but you just had to, uh, you had to wait through uh, the big stretch here uh, and get to this Georgia game. If you don't win versus Auburn, if you don't win versus South Carolina, this Georgia game means absolutely, uh, or no, I ain't gonna say means nothing, but it doesn't mean what that, what, what it's going to mean when these two teams line up uh, here in a couple of weeks. So, Will, part of the you know reason for optimism uh, around the country for these Gators is has been Kyle Trash's performance over the last six games and, and since he took over for Felipe Franks coming off his uh, you know, if you want, if you, he is coming off of his worst performance. I won't necessarily, it, it, but it wasn't a bad game. It wasn't a bad performance by Trash. Uh, and he played clutch in the fourth quarter, making some throws uh, to take the lead and put the game away. Early when he took over, uh, Will, you know, we saw a quarterback that maybe didn't have that uh, internal clock of when to get rid of the ball and definitely had issues hanging on to the ball and getting hit. Um, you know, some of those, uh, 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 you know, some of those hits excusable, but some of those uh, not. All that culminated in the Auburn performance where his turnovers were keeping the Gators or keeping the Tigers in the game, of course. But uh, we saw this past week versus a, a pretty good defensive front in South Carolina. What we saw was a quarterback that maneuvered the pocket kept play alive, uh, plays alive with his feet, makes some uh, throws to keep drives alive. Big takeaway for me here, Will, is, is just showing those traits when it mattered the most. Uh, in the fourth quarter, um, on a fourth and three conversion to Pitts, and then finishing that drive uh, by moving in the pocket and hitting Swain for a, a diving touchdown, a nice adjustment touchdown uh, from the quarterback and the receiver on that play. And he may not have had the best overall day, but can still see signs of playing well and improving in certain areas. Yeah, it was sort of the tale of of each quarter for Trask. <laughs> in the first quarter, he had nine pass attempts for 47 yards, so averaged 5.2 yards per throw. Then averaged 9.4 yards per throw in the second quarter, 2.1 in the third quarter, and then 10.7 in the fourth when it really made a difference. Went five of six for 64 yards, and then obviously the three touchdowns in that uh, in that fourth quarter. And and I mean that really sort of coincided with the play calling. I wrote about this in the article that, yeah. that I released today that you know they had two runs in the first quarter and trash struggled. They had 11 run attempts in the second quarter. Trash played well. They had three run attempts in the third quarter. Trash struggled. They had 14 run attempts in the fourth quarter and trash played well. I I do think there's a correlation there between, I I think Trask is a good player. I think you do need to protect him at times. I think that, you know, one of the things that maybe, maybe has masked some of the things that he's limited is that they played 
Tennessee and that Kentucky didn't necessarily have any film on him and he sort of had to, but even in that game against, against Kentucky, they ran the ball a little bit there in the fourth quarter during that comeback. And, and that's really what we're finding even over the last two games between LSU and, uh, and, and, uh, and South Carolina on scoring drives, they've had 40 run plays and 35 pass plays, non-scoring drives, 25 run plays and 47 pass plays. So really when Florida has struggled on offense, it's because they've been getting pass happy. And I think that sort of tells you what, tells you what you need to know about Trask is that he's a very effective quarterback he goes the right, goes to the right place when he has the opportunity, but you do need to supplement him with a run game. And, uh, you know, th- I guess that's a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, the bad thing is, is that Florida has struggled with that all year long. The good thing is, is it does look like the offensive line starting to come around a little bit. We've seen that, I think, last week a little bit, but this week certainly a little bit more that they were they were getting better. You can see some things that are improving on the line. Yeah, and I think uh, as much as Florida has struggled running the ball there, uh, and I do think – what you pointed out in in the run game and how it helped Trask, you know, it's probably the best example of keeping at, at least at keep keeping defenses honest. Uh, and you know, the threat of the run can and will open up the passing game and passing lanes in a Dan Mullen offense. Slowly but steadily, the offensive line is showing some progress. And look, you've had Richard Garage come in and perform the way he has, uh, and the way he's helping here. Heggy making some uh, you know some some nice pulls from the right guard position seeing more of uh, getting to the second level, more zone blocking as the season has matured, and you're figuring out what these guys can do, what they're getting better at, and what they're comfortable doing. And I, I know we saw improvement in the offensive line last season, maybe even around this time uh, of the season as well. You know, we're not going to see that kind of a jump. Uh, we're, you know, we're too far in now to get that big jump. Uh, we, we've, we're seeing – this offensive line steadily improved. But I, don't, I don't think the ceiling is that high. But if this group can steadily improve, and, and you know these running, you know what these running backs are capable of, then this offense is to me just going to come together just fine. Yeah, well, I mean, Mullen's sort of damned if he does, damned if he doesn't, just because of the way the way people look at things, right? I mean, immediately after the game, I had a bunch of people tweeting at me about how he didn't have any, any Emory Jones packages in the game against South Carolina. It's like, well, they moved the ball and they won. I'm not sure what you want. And then two weeks ago against LSU, he has the Emory Jones package, and he brings him in you know, on their own 25 or their own 30 for that drive and is criticized for that as well. And certainly I think he knew that, A, he needed to get his defense a blow in that game against LSU, but also that he needs to run the ball. And that part of running the ball then is, you know, in his offense, requires the quarterback. And we saw that a little bit in the game against South Carolina where Trask was not a huge threat. But, you know, the, the moniker that Mullen uses about a willing runner, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think he was much more of a willing runner in the, in the South Carolina game mainly because I think they were limited through the air just because there were some throws that he wasn't able to make because of the way, um, because of the way the ball was coming out of his hand. So um, I, I think at the end of the day, you're looking for improvement. One of the things that we need to recognize, I think, is that the offensive line is probably just as banged up as the defensive line. It's just none of those guys have actually had to come out of the game because of the injury that they have. But this bye week is going to serve that portion of the team very, very well. And I think that's one of the things that, that we should really look for is if they're going to come out more physical against Georgia, just because they've had that week off, they've been able to heal up the same way the defensive side of the ball has. Well, you, that, that's something that just sparked something in my mind, uh, what you were saying. And maybe look, I go back to 2005, uh, Urban Meyer's first year, of course, Dan Mullen's first year as offensive coordinator as well. They have a bye week before Georgia. You're struggling running the ball. And here it comes. Billy Latsko is kind of this, uh, 
fullback, wingback, uh, you know, uh, insertion there that we hadn't seen uh, previously throughout the season. They ought to go back and look and see how much it actually improved the run game. But for at least one game, you caught Georgia some, you caught Georgia something off guard. Uh, there something they didn't necessarily expect, something that what what that wasn't on film. Uh, and Lasco inserted as a as a blocker, a blocker to help the running backs, you know, and open up some lanes there. Uh, there, so uh, the bye week is coming up. I wonder are are there some wrinkles to help? You know, yes, we see this offensive line getting better, but is there something else out there that can during the bye week when you have time to prep, when you have time to work on things, when you have time to maybe come up with a couple of gadgets, you know, you're, of course you're not overhauling a playbook. You're just looking for little wrinkles uh, to get an advantage. And I wonder what Dan Mullen's keeping in his back pocket just for this, uh, for, for this Georgia game and this bye week coming up and, and to help this offensive line, to help this run game get going. Cause it was a move like that, that like, as I said, I don't think it going back and, just looking at it on the surface and, and look at it being so far away uh, from well, almost 15 years ago, I don't think it was this huge impact, but at least for one game it was. Yeah, well, I mean, it certainly was the narrative for that Georgia game. I think the real, the real narrative for that game is that Florida came out and hit Georgia in the mouth. Yeah. And irrespective of whether it was necessarily effective, they came out with more confidence in the running game and made sure that, especially early on, that they really sort of announced that, hey, you're not just going to be able to run us over. I did actually go back a couple weeks ago and look at that because I was looking at fixes for the running game. Okay. So I have an article talking about the offensive line. And in the first seven games of the year, so pre-Latsko, they averaged 3.89 yards per rush attempt. In the last five games, they averaged 3.85 yards per rush attempt. <laughs> so... <laughs> You're right to say you're not sure whether it was effective yeah, because at the end of the day, it didn't impact their yards per rush. But I do think that, like you said, it caught George off balance. It gave George a different look. And I think it's the same thing that I said with the South Carolina thing is that is, is that it's not critical that Florida runs for 350 yards. Mm-hmm. It's critical that they have balance so that when Trask drops back, the defensive backs don't, and the linebackers don't drop into his lane. So the defensive backs have to keep an eye on the backfield so that, um, you know, the defensive lineman can't just pin back their ears and come after him in, in, you know, in a pass rush. And I think it makes a huge difference. And, you know, a draw every once in a while or just handing it to P. Ryan saying, hey, we're going to, um, get you to second and six every once in a while so that you can convert something that's not, you know, it's not a third and 10. If you have a couple of incompletions really makes a difference. And it's, and it's played out in the stats for Florida this year. This isn't an offense, at least the through the air has necessarily put up, you know, 80 yard passes. In fact, the mm-hmm. big plays, the really big ones have been through the running game where they've found, they, they found through either schematics or the other day, it was a perfect block or a perfect blocking set for the run for Pierce, but you know, you get those 75, 80 yard runs. Um, that's where they've gotten their huge plays from. I can't remember, you know, a 70 yard pass this year. They just haven't been there. It hasn't really materialized. Part of that, I think is that the offensive line, they've sort of been protecting and haven't gone deep that much, but part of it is, is just, I mean, I guess the only one I can remember is Swain. And that was a little, mm-hmm. that was a little slant across the middle, right? That mm-hmm. wasn't, that wasn't really checking it deep. So, you know, it, it's important to have balance. I mean, I think everybody knows that, but the reason you want to have balance is that it really sort of opens things up for your quarterback. Florida obviously is strong through the air, but just 
trying to run the ball makes a difference. And I think that's probably what we saw with Georgia back in 2005 is just saying, we're going to be committed to this. We've made a schematic change to be committed to it makes a difference. And I suspect, you know, last year they sort of had the Emory package that they brought out for that Georgia game. He almost, almost really made a difference. I mean, he had a deep throw that they got a pass interference on that put him in position. And then on the play where he fumbled the ball on a pitch, if he'd have been able to get that pitch out, that would have been a big play too. So um, I suspect that with another year of experience, Emory's going to be a little bit better. Um, and yeah, they're probably going to have some wrinkles just like they had for Auburn. You know, they had the, mm-hmm. they had the throwback pass from Kroll. They were going to call that play regardless, no matter <laughs> what happened in that game. Um, LSU, not they didn't really have a trick play, but I do think that... Uh, just using you know, Emory even more than they had this season in that game probably was, you know, the, the wrinkle in that game. Yeah, and you know they didn't use him at all in the South Carolina game, but I'm, I, I think they just sort of decided that ball security yeah. and having a guy who was going to be able to make the big pass through the air when they had the opportunity was what they wanted out there on the field, and, and so they stuck with Trask. I suspect that in Jacksonville, especially if the weather's decent, that that Emory Jones will have a bigger role, and and you know that'll probably be. And then we also don't know whether Kadarius Tony will be back, and, yeah. if, and if Tony's back from injury, I don't know that you're necessarily going to put him out there and have him play 65 plays. But, you know, do you have something in, in store where he's out there running some sort of trick play a la Mississippi State last year? Um, those are the types of things maybe you see coming out of the bye week. But to be honest, I, I, I'm kind of hoping that Florida comes out and sees what Georgia has. And it would be nice to see Florida just dominate them on the field because it's looked like Georgia can be had. And, uh, you know, it'd be nice to see if just Florida's better. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't mind another uh, Kelvin Taylor, Matt Jones performance where the quarterback only has to throw it six times and run for about 300 yards. <laughs> well, we, we don't have three on a quarterback, so at least we're uh, – <laughs> so we won't have to rely on the running backs like that. No, we yeah, won't have to. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, offense, uh, the, keeping up with the offense and, and your article, you diagrammed a few plays in what the offensive line was able to do and, and some of the, the success that we're now seeing with this offensive line. Maybe not necessarily with that we didn't see – uh, earlier in the season. Now, like I said, I to go back, Richard Garage is on the field more. He is getting more playing time at left guard. Brett Hickey now at right guard, and he was instrumental uh, in, in, in pulling and, and getting blocks here. Uh, what do you see from this offensive line that does, you know, you showed some diagrams, you showed some plays, that there is some improvement coming along this season? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is, is that they just sort of hit their assignments. I mean, the big play for Pierce, I already mentioned it earlier, the, so the play with P. Ryan hit against Auburn to put that game away, Heggy came around and missed the block on the linebacker, mm-hmm. and Pierce had to break a tackle. I'm sorry, P. Ryan had to break a tackle. Um, this game, Heggy hits that block. Pierce then only has to beat the safety and is able to do it and then can go for 75 yards because of it. But if the linebacker had gotten off of that block, then there's absolutely no way that Pierce is able to split between the linebacker and the safety. In this case, it allowed him to get past the safety, and all of a sudden you got a touchdown. On that same play, Buchanan and Garage drove the nose tackle Mm. back into the linebacker, and then Garage was able to come off that combo block and get to the linebacker probably four or five yards downfield. Again, if he doesn't get to the linebacker, that linebacker muddies things up, and it instead of it being a 75-yard gain, it's a six, it's a six or seven-yard gain. And you look at a six or a seven-yard gain, you go, hey, that's great. That's something that we you know, we haven't been able to get a lot of six and seven-yard gains. But the explosive plays out of the running game 
the fact that we've seen a couple of those last few weeks, I think is indicative that these guys are starting to get better. They're starting to get it. They're starting to move the line of scrimmage just a little bit. And then some of it is scheme. I mean, in the Auburn game, Mullen basically made sure that the safety was on the wrong side of the field. And so the only guy P Ryan had to beat was the linebacker who came off of the block. Um, that wasn't the case this time. This was something where South Carolina, um, you know, it was not a schematic touchdown. This was a Florida's offensive line beat South Carolina's defensive line. And then Pierce had the skill to take it the rest of the way. I think that's a really good sign. I think the other thing that we've seen is, is really getting to the linebackers more often mm-hmm. is something that we've absolutely seen. And really, what you want to see is you want to see that the safeties are having to come up and take on the running back. If the safety is the first guy to come up and hit the running back, then you've blocked things correctly. If the running back can beat the safety, it turns into a big play. If he gets tackled by the safety, you're eight, nine, ten yards downfield. And we saw that probably three, four, five times in the game. And even towards the end of the first half where P. Ryan ripped off a couple of runs, you know, I know people look at that and say, ah, it's just the end of the half. South Carolina's sort of letting it, you know sort of letting up a little bit and maybe that's true at the same time like you still got to get a hat on the hat you still got to block the linebackers and they were able to do so so the offensive line's coming coming along the pass protection has been pretty good all year long and the running game is getting better i think i think part of it is is that the running game the the blocking really couldn't have been worse than it was early in the year but at the same time i think there's a little bit of regression to me and i mentioned this in the article i mean Trask was never going to keep up the pace that he had against Tennessee or Towson. I mean, the guy's going out there completing 18 straight passes. He's averaging, you know, like 11 yards an attempt. Like, you know, if you're completing 80% of your passes, eventually you're going to come back to earth. And that's kind of what he's done. He's come back to like 62% completions and he's averaging like 7.3 yards per attempt or something over the last three games. But what's happened is, is that the running game has gone the other way where, you know, against Miami, I think they, they averaged like 1.8 yards per rush or something like that and never hit a big one, never hit a gash play. They're starting to hit those now. And eventually, I think what we're going to see and, you know, we'll have to see because I'm not sure Florida State's really good enough to gauge this. But I think what we'll see is towards the end of the year, those plays that were going for two yards are going to start going for five. And those plays that were going for five are going to start going for nine, and they'll still hit the big one. And there's going to be a game late in this year where Florida runs for 230, 240 yards. Hopefully it's against Georgia, but mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's going to be a game where everything sort of clicks. And we saw that last year. And, I, and really it was the South Carolina game last year where in the second half the offensive line just said, we're taking this thing over and absolutely did. And so Muschamp had to come up with those cheesy t-shirts that they showed on ESPN this week with the, uh, you know, giving up what 349 yards rush to the Florida last year <laughs> and written that he made all of his players wear. So, um, you know, they're going, you can see it coming along. You can see the offensive linemen starting to get it. You can see that they're rotating in the six guys and that all six of them have sort of equal skill. Um, so as long as they don't have any injuries, I, I think we can be pretty confident that by the time Florida State comes around, the offensive line is going to be pretty solid. The question is, are they going to be able to are they going to be able to carry the load against Georgia? I think that's probably asking a little bit much, but I think there were some encouraging signs against South Carolina that say they're not going to be the liability that they were against maybe Kentucky or Tennessee or something like that. Yeah, I like that you brought up. You know, yeah, you said they're probably banged up at this point in the season. You know, offensive lines are. It's just kind of the, the nature of football right now. But we're also looking at, you know, this is a uh, a whole season and now eight games to where you have been pretty healthy on the offensive line. Uh, going back when you're giving some credit to Nick Savage and, and the strength and conditioning program here uh, of, you know, keeping this offensive line uh, pretty healthy now for the second season 
in a row. All right, we'll take a look at this defense as well. But uh, you know, there's uh, a lot of you out there who like to do some sports betting. So whether you want to make a national title bet or wager on this weekend's game, my bookie has you covered. My bookie is always the right play. You bet, you win, they pay. Have some fun with betting this season. My bookie lets you bet on which college coaches will get fired. <coughs> Louis Haggard, who will make the college football playoff or win the Heisman Trophy. You can even bet on halftime lines and live odds. If by the second half it looks like your original bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. Also, my bookie allows you to bet on FBS versus FCS games. So right now, double your first deposit at MyBookie. Use promo code GATERS to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today at MyBookie.ag. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E dot A-G. And don't forget to use promo code GATERS when creating your account to claim the bonus. Bet, win, get paid at MyBookie. And guys, you've got to go try UFM underwear. Underwear for men is the only brand of men's underwear that both that offers both isolation and support, all while keeping you cool. Unlike other pouch underwear brands that have thin mesh panels or pre-sized pouches, Underwear for Men's patented pending design prevents skin-on-skin contact and eliminates chafing. Underwear for Men is a state of Florida company, so you're shopping local when you buy UFM underwear, and they have you covered no matter the activity. Everyday underwear, athletic underwear, work underwear, or medical underwear, Underwear for Men is made for it all. Try your pair now. Head over to UFMunderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN to get $5 off your pair of UFM underwear. UFM underwear, support your manhood. Uh, well, so maybe surprisingly to some out there, and you know, talking talking about you know, where the Gators need to be heading into the Georgia game here, biggest worry seems to be the uh, defensive side of the ball uh, right now. So what, what a change that Mullen has brought to, to, to Gainesville. We're now worried about the defensive side of the ball, Well, So uh, you know, most of that's due to injuries and, and the uncertainty uh, of the health of Jabbar Zuniga and Jonathan Grenard. Uh, both of those guys are instrumental in, in taking the Gators where they want to go this season. Uh, you know, we've, we've, you know, we've gotten where we've gotten to a point now so far this season, you know, where Florida's sitting at seven, one without them together for the most part of the season. Uh, but for this team to improve on, on defense and to take that next step and just, and to get to where Florida ultimately wants to be, of course, you know, that's fighting for uh, the an SEC championship, a, a college football playoff spot. It rests on these two re- returning to the lineup. Yeah, I mean, there, there was really some struggles there on the defensive line there, especially in the first half, but even even in the third quarter as well. And, um, you know, I sort of talked about they've, they've given up um, 35 explosive plays this year, 12 through the run, so 20-plus yard plays, 12 against the run, 23 against the pass, but seven of those explosive plays in the run have come in the last two weeks against South Carolina and LSU. And it just feels like people are running free. And some of that is that the linebackers are getting mauled by offensive linemen Mm because the defensive linemen are getting busted back. A couple of plays I diagram where Daryl Slayton got, got, either knocked backwards or pancaked, which really sort of opened up the running game for, for South Carolina. But then once the defensive line started getting, uh, started getting dominated a little bit up front, then they started guessing and, and guys, linebackers and defensive linemen started jumping out of gaps. You had bad angles from safeties, all sorts of different things. It's sort of, you know, one mistake begot another and, and sort of, you know, rolled downhill from there. 
I think Zaniga and Grenard helped that somewhat because, um, you know, just because they're, they allow you to, you know, shorten your rotation because you have those two in there. So you don't have two other guys that you need to rotate in. I do think they found a little bit with, with Carter and Dunlap. I, I was impressed with the way they played in the third and fourth quarter in the first half, not so much, but in the third and the fourth quarter uh, that Zachary Carter and, and, uh, and Marlon Dunlap played, played pretty well. And so they may be finding some stuff now with these guys who are getting experience and potentially being able to add that to Zaniga and Grenard will make a real difference down the home stretch, you know, but Again, it's that it's that high ankle sprain. You don't really know. I mean, you know, Zaniga's been out since Kentucky, so it'll be six or seven weeks since since he really sort of went down. I mean, obviously he tried to go in one of those games, but um, we were LSU last week. But you know, just kind of, you know, definitely nowhere near a hundred percent. And well, and that's and that's the problem with the high ankle sprain. Yeah, right? is, is that you know chances are he's not really right until the mm-hmm. bowl game. And so the question is, how much do you get out of him if you have him in there? They actually had him interior a lot in that game against LSU. They brought him in at defensive tackle, um, I think, to try to hold up at the point of attack because that's one of the things that Florida really struggled with. It's why those big plays were coming. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what they what they do as these guys come back. I mean, Grenard has been the MVP of the defense this year, even after missing the last couple of games, they, they really miss him. I mean, I, they miss Zaniga as well, but just having somebody off the edge who, who can put pressure on the quarterback, um, you know, is, is something that they miss. Now, obviously the one time they really got torched, um, really badly was LSU where he had an experienced quarterback. He got that same, same kind of experience coming back with Georgia and from how well he'll be able to diagnose Grantham schemes. And then obviously how well they can hold up up front are going to be the keys to that game. And, and uh, you know, like I said, I, I think there's reason for concern because when you look at, especially in the first half against South Carolina, the defensive linemen were getting blasted back from the line of scrimmage. And it meant that the linebackers couldn't, couldn't roam free because they were getting, they were getting blocked by offensive linemen. I do wonder whether they found some stuff in the third and the fourth quarter that's going to help moving forward. Yeah, so, yeah, we all went back and looked at some stats down for, for this. Florida has allowed 426 rushing yards over the last two games versus LSU and South Carolina. In the first five games of the season, Florida only allowed 558 rushing yards. So 426 the last two games, only 558 before that. Um or that was uh, uh or about before the in, in the um um first five games of the season 111 yards per game uh not too bad there but 426 the last two so you know that's a staggering contrast especially in what Florida is coming up has coming up as they prepare for Georgia so not only are you going to need Zaniga and Grenard playing versus Georgia um maybe some practice reps to knock some of the rust off kind of like what you're saying. Uh, you know, we don't know the complete health of those guys and, and high ankle sprains are tricky. You're probably not going to be 100% to the season over with. You can get a whole lot of rest without practice, without anything uh, there. But, you know, even, you know, but even without them, will you diagram where Florida uh, just went wrong in defending the run this past week versus South Carolina in your article? And South Carolina is a good rushing team, you know, make no doubt about it. But but things, you know, that weren't at their best and the skater defense weren't at their best in defending the run, whether it be the middle of the line, getting no push, as you mentioned, the linebackers getting out of position, man, the safety's taking terrible angles and missing tackles again. Uh, as we've, you know, we've seen this rush defense at its worst the last two weeks. David Reese is still making his plays when he needs, 
uh, too, against teams known for running the ball. But yeah, but after a good start to the season, Will Ventral Miller, James Houston, those guys haven't been able to build on that kind of early season success. And, and without Zuniga and Grenard, these guys need to be counted on to help stop the run from the linebacker position. So, you know, so hopefully the, the return of those two guys that can help the linebacker play as well. Reese does his job most of the time versus the run, but he needs some help at that second level. Yeah, I mean, so there are obviously things to be concerned up, concerned about in the run game. Even even Reese, there was one play where I diagram yeah. where he jumped out of position, and it puts his safety in a in a difficult spot because if he just takes on the linebacker, it slows down the running back a little bit. Because and so then the safety is able to maybe take a better angle because he doesn't take on the linebacker because he tries to sort of hop around him then the running back doesn't get slowed down and the safety looks like he's taking a bad angle. It's sort of a chain reaction, right? When the defensive tackle can't occupy his guy or two guys, mm -hmm. then the linebackers get get offensive linemen on them. And if the linebackers try to jump around the offensive linemen rather than taking them head on in the hole, well, then the safeties look like they're out of position. And that's not to absolve the safeties because they took some bad angles too. But it is a chain reaction. The one thing I do think that, you know, Florida all year long has been inconsistent, but they have been great in stretches. Yeah. I think we saw that in this game too. They gave up 20 yards in the second quarter. And so, you know, that game was 10-10 going into the half, not because Florida's offense was playing all that well. It was 10-10 because Florida's defense was basically just forcing three and out, three and out, three and out, three and out. Even in the third quarter, they gave up 98 yards, but they only gave up seven points because of the interception by Trask. Um, you know, it's not as if the defense was giving up a ton of points. And then they gave up 142 yards in the fourth quarter, but a lot of that came after mm -hmm. after they were up 38-20 to 20 and were just sort of – saying, hey, we'll give up three minutes on the clock if you guys want to come down and score a touchdown. So, you know, they gave up 14 yards passing in the second and the third quarter combined. Holinsky looked terrible. His yards above replacement was minus 3.22, and that was even with the added bonus sort of trash yards in the fourth quarter. He had 75 yards passing through the first three quarters. And, I mean, you know, there were a few plays that were open that he probably could have hit. So he didn't play real well, but obviously Florida's defense had a uh, – had a say in that. And I think that was sort of the strategy, right? It was if, and I think you could see that too, is, is that if we'll, we're willing to give up a couple of plays in the run, if we force Holinsky to throw the ball, figuring he's not going to be accurate enough, he's not going to be good enough to get the job done. That turned out to be true. What wound up happening is, is when they got in the red zone, then they would blitz Henderson off the edge. There was mm -hmm. one play where he got the running back for a, for a tackle for a loss. There was another play where he got Holinsky on a sack. Um, and so, and then one of those will was a drive where South Carolina just ran the ball down Florida's throat first and goal. They dropped back to pass, <laughs> and then you get that type of play. And well, and even the opening drive, if they had just lined up on side, South Carolina settles for a field goal. Yeah. So you know the little mistakes, things that are mental mistakes. Which, to be honest, those mental mistakes have been kind of far, few and far between in the Mullen era. Um, it's not a surprise that Ankrum didn't play the second drive after that one. Um, <laughs> but but you know, again, I, I I sit here and I look at it and I say, yeah, there are things to be concerned about. But there were things to be concerned about against Kentucky. I mean, they made Sawyer Smith look like a Heisman mm -hmm. Trophy winner in the first half, and then. And all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, guy couldn't complete a pass except to Florida DBs. And it was the same thing against uh, against Miami where the Hurricanes looked really, really good. Jaron Williams looked great in the first half. The third quarter, they come out and put up negative two yards. So the defense has been 
inconsistent in that they have had quarters where they've really struggled, but then they've had quarters where they've completely shut down the opposition. I think that's kind of what we can expect at this point. It's one of the reasons why I thought they had a shot when they went up 28 to 21 against LSU. Cause I was like, Hey, if they can put together one of those quarters, mm -hmm. then all of a sudden Florida can really take this game by the throat. And it just so happened that LSU was too good for that. <laughs> and, then, and the big plays kept coming and coming and coming against South Carolina. There were big plays, but, two things. One is the big plays were for maybe 20 yards. They weren't, you know, 56 yards for a touchdown. Yeah. In fact, I'm not sure any of their big plays actually went for a touchdown. They led to touchdowns, but they weren't, you know, the opening flea mm -hmm. flicker that actually, and, and that was the other thing I think that maybe, maybe is a promising sign is that I don't feel like Florida was out of position on mm -hmm. the big plays, like the flea flicker to, to Edwards, CJ, CJ Henderson was right there. Just a completion, and you know, you sort of live with it. Hey, my DB was in the right spot, didn't make the play, ball got completed. I'll live with that. As opposed to the week before, where you know, sort of the dagger from from, from Burrow to, to Chase, you know, Henderson was ten yards behind him when the ball was caught. I mean, obviously they had they had run a nice rub route. Ventral Miller sort of gotten in the way, but at the end of the day, it was a busted assignment because the guy's wide open running down the field. There weren't any of those, and so. Um, they're going to give up some yards. They're going to give up some big plays. I think that's just sort of part and parcel to the defense, who they are and the personnel they have out there. But if those big plays don't go for touchdowns and then they have the ability to, to be stalwarts in the red zone all year long in every game except LSU, they've proven that they were very, very good in the red zone. Proved it again against South Carolina, and that's sort of why they won the game. Yeah, well, I'm glad you went there to the secondary. And I wondered you know, what we would see at the star position uh, after Trey Dean struggles so far there this this season coming off pretty bad showing last week versus LSU. You know, last week it was Marco Wilson sliding over Kyrie Elam coming in uh, to play outside cornerback. Well, we saw something different versus South Carolina. The ever so versatile Amari Bernie was playing at the star nickel position uh, along with playing linebacker at times too. Uh, he, he will really showing his versatility with and with his athleticism that you know he's on the field more now he, he can play linebacker and then if there's a need to to be a nickel or star on the very next play he can just slide right over uh, and fill that role while miller and houston come in uh now it'll be interesting to see the approach versus georgia and their run game uh with um you know and with Miller and Houston struggling in helping reset linebacker versus the run. So during this bye week, you know, do they do they find Bernie more valuable at linebacker and bring Dean back to nickel, or do they use a similar rotation like they did versus South Carolina? Whatever happens there, I feel comfortable in saying the more Bernie on the field, the better. Yeah, I mean there were some really nice plays there where he was running with Shai Smith and and was able to was able to knock down passes. Yeah. Um, I, I think. All year long, coming into the preseason, you know, Grantham was really raving about Bernie. It's it, he's done some quiet things, but we haven't necessarily seen a game where you're right. like, oh, wow, 30s out there and making a difference. And we saw that against South Carolina, so that was good to see. You know, Trey Dean wasn't buried; he was out there quite a bit as well. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's one of the things that you'll see is that there are probably times in the game where it makes sense to have Dean in there. There are times in the game where it makes sense to have Bernie in there. There are times in the game where it makes sense to have both of them. Um, I, I think we'll see quite a bit of that against Georgia. One of the good things about Georgia is that their wide receiver core is relatively inexperienced and has been pretty ineffective the last couple of weeks. And so, you know, you can bring, you can have a more physical guy maybe on the outside just because you don't have to be worried about get about getting beat deep. 
um, or at least you don't you're not necessarily intimidated by the receivers. Whereas last year, you know, you got Hardman and you've got uh, got Nada and sort of those guys who are out there. Those guys aren't there anymore, and so Fromm's finding a little bit tougher sledding now that people have sort of isolated what he wants to do. And Fromm's always been one of those guys who wants to throw to the outside, yep. not necessarily over the middle. And last year, Florida really got 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 drilled when they started going over the middle of Nauta. Uh, but if they're not able to do that in this game, if he keeps trying to go to the outside, well, that kind of plays in to having somebody like Dean out there. I mean, I think, um, you know, Bernie obviously can slide in and out, but at the same time, having somebody like Dean out there who can, who can cover the boundary, that's more, I think he's more adept at doing that right now, at least than he is at, at sitting in the slot at the star position. So, um, you know, I think I think they're going to continue to rotate. I think you're probably again same thing with the offensive line. There are guys who are out there who are dinged, and I think we'll see an increased quality of play from some of the people that maybe have been disappointing thus far, just based on the week to recover and, and get healthy. Well, Hank, I mean, well, you're probably right. We'll definitely see a rotation, and we'll see we we still see a uh, four man rotation at safety <laughs> right now, even though most people think it should be Brad Stewart, Sean Davis out there. Uh, so, uh, you yeah, that, that four man rotation and safety is still going on, uh, as well. So yeah, they, they like to rotate those guys on defense, keep them fresh and, and, uh, and, uh, keep them, keep them healthy as well. So will a lot of news coming out of, uh, Tallahassee on a Monday. Um, uh, Josh Newberg there for, uh, the Knowles 24 seven site and, and their podcast that they put out, uh, saying kind of behind the scenes conversations of, Willie Taggart's buyout and uh, contacting his agent about what it would take and what, how much money it would take and all that. And, you know, yeah, we all, we were, you know, you and I were joking about it before coming on uh, this episode of um, the late game antics of uh, one Willie Taggart versus Wake Forest. And it's a, uh, it's not a pretty sight in Tallahassee. No, I mean, when you ice your own kicker, you're going to get criticized for, for, for different things. And I mean, obviously Taggart's, especially when you compare it to what Mullen's done at Florida, I mean, Taggart's had more talent. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about that, that Taggart has had, at least as the far as the recruiting rankings go, has had a significant advantage over Mullen, hasn't been able to take advantage of it. And it's not as if he's bringing in top three classes that you can say, Hey, He's stocking the cupboard for the next guy either. The recruiting is struggling in Florida at Florida State, um, even worse than it is at Florida. So, I mean, what are you hanging your hat on if you're a Florida State fan? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I I think I tweeted two weeks ago when when they were playing. You know what what's the what's the pitch to a recruit? I mean, really, yeah. the only pitch is, hey, the next staff will know how to utilize you yeah. well. <laughs> That's really the only the only pitch you got. And I mean. Obviously, for a big-time program as proud as Florida State is, that's not that's not going to cut it. Um, you know, Taggart's going to have a tough time surviving if he comes out and gets beat by forty by Florida this year. Um, you know, obviously, he might be able to save his job if he can come out and maybe keep that close or even pull out that win. But um, you know, how likely is that based on the way guys have played? You, you know, you don't know whether he's lost the locker room. I mean, I think that's maybe the. You know, last year you're sort of going through a transition. You got all of the disciplinary issues with. Um, I mean, but by discipline, I mean like, you know, 10 guys yeah. on the field and, and, and that sort of stuff. But even this year, they had the guy lined up the wrong direction. Um, you know, the debacle at the end of this one where they had two snaps that turned into sacks on the last two plays. Um, it's entertaining, obviously, as a Florida fan, but uh, I don't know. I kind of want him to get that lifetime contract, man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my thing is, if this report is true, and, you know, Josh does good work over there for, 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 uh, um, 
uh, 24-7 sports and, and covering. And he knows that Willie Taggart staff and knows Willie Taggart pretty well. I mean, this report's true. I mean, it, that's hard to come back from. I mean, if you're if you're if those back channel discussions are really happening about buyout talks and contract talks and what it would take and how much money's involved and all that, I mean, I'm inclined to believe that it's it once those talks start, it's pretty much over. Well, look, man, I'm not connected at all. And yeah. I knew McElwain was gone way before that Georgia game started. <laughs> like, the, the boards were buzzing, but I mean, you know, like I, I write enough about the team and there are enough people who wanted to reach out to me that I knew right before, before, before it was announced, you knew what was going on. We thought we knew who the new head coach was going to be before Chip Kelly went to UCLA. So sometimes that doesn't work out real well. And, and maybe that'll be the case of Tallahassee, right? Is that the sources, yeah. the sources that, um, you know, the, the sources that they're talking about here maybe have, I mean, the question is, I mean, it's not a question of, do they want to get rid of them? I think that's pretty, that's the, that's not an open or it's not a closed secret there that, that, that there are people unhappy with them. The question is, do they have the money to do it? Yeah. And, well, I and, remember Les Miles saving his job one time. <laughs> well, and, and now you sit there and you go, geez, maybe Florida state should have hired Les Miles. I mean, he took Texas down to the last second yeah. with, with Kansas the other day. So, um, yeah, you know, it, it always boils down to who are you going to hire who's better than who you got and is who you got so untenable from the standpoint of, I mean, the attendance up in Tallahassee has been terrible. Um, the, that's, where, that's where money can come into play. You know, you balance things like that of, okay, how much is his contract worth versus how much those, uh, those, you know, those stands are not getting filled every weekend. Yeah. Well, if you're going to lose money anyway, right. I mean, Florida state, their athletic program, so the football team makes money, but the athletic program relies on the football program to stay in the black. And they just barely do. Like when you look at the financials, you know, Florida puts away like 20 or $25 million in profit every year that they can then roll back into the program. Florida state doesn't do that. Florida state has about the same expenses as Florida does, but doesn't bring in the same amount of revenue. Um, and, and so when you look at that, Fl Florida State's trying to compete with Florida when it comes to facilities, when it comes to head coaches, when it comes to salaries, all that sort of stuff, but doesn't really have the same bankroll to do it. And, you know, getting rid of McIlwain still required an awful lot of support from people who were who were within the program. And Florida State's got to have the same thing, assuming they want to get rid of Taggart. I mean, again, I, I, I think um, you got to give a guy at least two full years. Otherwise, who wants to come take that job? Yeah. And you know, the offense has improved this year, but the defense has been much, much worse. Um, you know, you already replaced the offensive coordinator coming in off of year one. I mean, obviously nobody's going to be excited about year three with Willie Taggart, but um, you know, especially if the, if the season keeps going this direction and it's one of the unfortunate things about this stuff, you know, we're talking about guys livelihood. I don't want to yeah. see anybody get fired. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you just look at it, and I and I said this about Muschamp a couple of weeks ago when, when they were playing Georgia. It was just infuriating to watch the last five minutes of that game because Muschamp and Smart were just trying to out Muschamp each other at, at the end of that game. And and Taggart has sort of proven himself to be in that ilk of head coach. Um, at least, you know, you, you look at the end of these games, you look at the games where they've had leads, like the game against Boise State where mm -hmm. they had a lead and just were not able to hold on. Um, some of the weird ways where they've lost games and and – and I get, look, I get it. I understand why their fans are frustrated. No, that, and you know, the gap between them and Clemson's only getting wider. Yeah, well, the gap between everybody in the well, ACC and Clemson's right. only getting wider. The difference, right, but that's not the standard for Florida State. Absolutely. But, you know, I mean, that 
they're they're running into the same things that Florida ran into with Alabama and Georgia, sort of pulling recruits out of the state, and McIlwain having sort of lackluster recruiting classes, and then um, you know towards the end, McIlwain said some things that that got him in hot water with the Florida fan base, got him in hot water with the boosters, and that more than anything is why he didn't get a fourth year though. Obviously, I mean, I guess if they'd gone four and seven in his, <laughs> in his tenure, maybe they would have gotten rid of him at the end of the year. But the reason he was gone after the Georgia game is because of the death threat stuff and the credit card scandals and that sort of stuff. Um, you know, Taggart hasn't had any of that yet. Um, there hasn't, or, you know, he hasn't had any of that at all really. And so, um, you know, there's not, there's not those underlying reasons maybe to, to not give him a third year. I mean, I hope he gets a third year. I think, I think, to be fair to somebody, you got to let them get their recruits in. The problem is, is that in Florida State, everything's trending in the wrong direction from a recruiting perspective, from a record perspective, and even from an on-field perspective. Um, you know, Florida State was winning these close games. Nobody would be questioning it. But obviously, when you lose to Wake Forest, um, you know, some soul-searching has to be done, and, and that's sort of what they're going through right now. We want to circle that back around to Florida right now. We see what FSU's going through. We see what Miami's going through. This makes this Georgia game even bigger uh, in two weeks. You know, this is a this is a chance to 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 pounce on your rivals, all all, all three of them, two of them in state, one to the north of you, one your biggest, uh, you know, one your biggest conference rival in, in Georgia. I mean, it really does set up. You know, you can change the narrative. You can really help recruiting uh, there by by winning games and winning games against Georgia, winning games against FSU, winning games against Miami, and two of those teams are in the dumps right now. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you can really set a narrative at Georgia too. I mean, there's been a lot of stuff floating around after the South Carolina loss in terms of Kirby Smart and and Mark Richt being basically having yeah. the same record and the same results after the first three years. Now, obviously, Rick sort of went the other direction and was more mediocre after those three or four years, but maybe Kirby Smart does that as well. Certainly, I think Mullen has not recruited up until this point at a level that's going to be necessary for sustained success. And if and one of the things that he, that I do think we need to look for in terms of why this Georgia game is more important is because next year is really sort of – all coaches in their third year usually have a down year just because the outgoing coach um, probably didn't recruit real well in his last year, and then the incoming coach has a transition year, and there's a lot of a lot of attrition, You know, not a lot of time to evaluate the kids you're bringing in. Those kids come in, some of them transfer because it's not exactly what they thought it was going to be, just because it was sort of a quick a quick romance before they committed, right? Um, and so that third year, you typically take a step back. Florida, as well as having sort of that that. Um, environment is also going to be losing quite a few guys off of this mm -hmm. team. I mean, Swain and Hammond, and you know there are some other guys who potentially could leave as well as juniors, and and so this is your opportunity, right? This is your opportunity to really put your stake in the sand and say we're going to dominate the East, and it gives you an opportunity to then go out to recruits and say why would you want to why would you want to go there? <laughs> if if you go there, you're not gonna you know you're gonna win at Florida. You're not gonna win at Georgia consistently, and that's the pitch that he's gonna have to make. The pitch Mullen has always been making since he's gotten there has been, "Come here, we're gonna win because I'm gonna be able to coach you up." And the more he proves that, the more effective that pitch is gonna be. And certainly, if he can turn the tides and start, I mean, the recruiting clearly Mullen's a great coach, so the recruiting doesn't yeah. have to be number one every year. It doesn't have to be Alabama, but. I do think it needs to get steadily better over time in order to get Florida where they want to go. Um, and the Georgia game is a big part of that. Oh, man, these next two weeks are going to take so long. It'll take so long. Well, hey, at least you don't live in Georgia anymore, buddy. 
That's true. I live close enough, but yeah. Um, text messages are still going out every day uh, to this game, Go Gators, and then uh, a reply of Go Dogs back, back, back to me. So you know, it's just kind of a, a tradition that we do for two weeks straight of just nothing but Go Gators text and Go Dogs text. But uh, that's uh, that's what this game's about. It's a fun game uh, to to be a part of. It's going to take so long to get to get through these two weeks, and you know we're going to overanalyze the heck out of this game because we have two weeks to do so. Because uh, you know the, both teams have a bye week, so kind of like going into the Miami game. You know, you, when you have big game, big opening games, you overanalyze uh, those games. And I'm sure that's kind of what's going to happen too with this Georgia game. Yeah, maybe, but I mean, I'm I really don't think you can you can minimize the importance here. I mean, if you oh, lose, no. if you lose this game you're going to the Outback Bowl, right, mm-hmm. or, or something like that. I mean, maybe you win out and you get a New Year's Six yeah. Bowl. But let's be honest, the New Year's Six Bowl at this point is probably a little bit of a disappointment. Like, you've got an opportunity here. And mm-hmm. if you can take advantage of the opportunity, you have a real opportunity at the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that doesn't mean you'll get there. But in year two, getting to the SEC championship game and, you know, I, I want another shot at LSU, man. I, I think yeah. there are probably some adjustments they can make. I think that they've learned some things from that. I think they won't be intimidated by LSU just because they will have already played them. I think a lot of people get intimidated with LSU right away. I think it even happened to Florida a couple of weeks ago, right? Like just sort of a, you know, a couple of big plays and you get out of your gaps and all of a sudden there's a couple more big plays and then you're sitting there pointing fingers at each other. Um, you know, I, I think they want another opportunity at that. So whether you get Alabama or whether you get LSU, I, I think getting to the SEC championship game is a big next step. And obviously, once you get into one of those games, then you have the opportunity. I mean, this was always the thing with McIlwain. It's those first two years he got there. And obviously, Florida was outclassed in those games. But you had the opportunity. You had the hope that if you won that game, you were gonna, you were going to play for something big. It's the same thing this year, right? I mean – so George is the first step in all that stuff. Obviously, you didn't have to take care of business against Missouri and Vanderbilt, but um, but you know there's a real opportunity here to do something special because of the way they've set it up. I think this is what we expected coming into the year, but I think we also expected George to be a little bit better at this point. Mm-hmm. And and so the fact that that hasn't happened really gives you some hope and says, hey, this is an opportunity. You don't get these opportunities very often. In 2012, they had an opportunity against Georgia. And, you know, all of the turnovers and then Jordan Reed fumbling the ball out of the end zone at the end and that sort of stuff. You know, that opportunity really cost Florida. If they'd have won that game, they're probably playing for the national championship. And instead, they're rooting for USC against Notre Dame. And, and you know, Notre Dame pulls that game out. And then and, and then you got Notre Dame against Alabama and they get slaughtered. So um, I think, you know, the LSU games, the fulcrum sort of tells you what you got when you're looking at a Florida season. And I think we learned that this Florida team has the ability to compete at a national level with anybody. And so now you come into this Georgia game and this is your opportunity to prove you belong, to prove you're in the class of the SEC and, and, and get the job done. And so, um, yeah, we're going to have two weeks to evaluate it. We're going to overanalyze it, I'm sure. But at the end of the day, I think it's worth it because this is one of those games where it really makes or breaks the season um, and and has significant ramifications, not just for 2019, but beyond. Absolutely. I think we'll get into, uh, yeah, we can get into more of that, more of that next week uh, as well. Well, what you got the uh, uh, Gators on the bye week this week, of course. So, uh, yeah, for from the Gators breakdown side, of course, there will not be a uh, Wednesday kind of opponent preview episode out there. No need to, uh, no need to preview bye week, Will. So, uh, you taking you taking an easy e- easier path this week as well with the bye week. Yeah, I haven't really decided yet. I might actually go back and look at. at uh, I'm interested to see what's changed since the early part of the season. 
And so that's one of the things I've been thinking of doing. The other thing is maybe just breaking down Georgia and what's gone wrong for them in the last couple of weeks. So we'll see. I, you know, it, it's uh, a lot of it depends on timing. A lot of it depends yeah. on the real job. But uh, I'd like to put something out there this week, sort of wetting people's appetite for the game and, and what, what, what maybe we've seen from Florida against, you know, Miami and Kentucky and, and how things have improved since then. All right. That's Will Miles. You can find his site at readandreaction.com and follow him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.